Hello everyone, my name is Matt Hollingsworth, and welcome to another episode of The Remote Show, where we discuss everything to do with remote work with the people who know it best. Thanks so much for listening. The Remote Show is brought to you by WeWork Remotely, the largest community of remote workers in the world. With over 220,000 unique users per month, WeWork Remotely is the most effective way to hire. My guest on today's show is Darren Buckner. Darren is the CEO and founder of WorkFrom.co, a platform connecting mobile workers with the best spaces to work and connecting a new generation of professionals with resources needed to thrive outside an office. Darren has a fascinating story from being a bouncer to a self-taught software engineer to an app developer for the NFL, and finally to founding and running WorkFrom.co. He has a ton of insights that can help aspiring entrepreneurs and managers. I encourage you to check out WorkFrom.co if you're interested in learning more and to make sure to follow Darren on social media. So Darren, uh, thanks for coming on the remote show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So the place I like to start with these podcasts, because I think it's fascinating, is where you got your start. So your background a little bit and what you were doing before, and then we can kind of go into what uh, WorkFrom is up to right now. But um, where did you get your start and what were you doing before WorkFrom? Well, just before WorkFrom, for most of my career, I worked as a software engineer. Uh, So I worked for companies like the NFL, NBC, as well as a lot of smaller companies, building applications, uh, building mostly web-based software. But before that, even, I was on a whole different track. I used to be a bouncer in nightclubs. And it's fun to talk about that because people often wonder, how did you go from being a bouncer to even a software engineer? But I enjoyed learning and I taught myself how to code when I would come home after working from nightclubs every day, I would spend another four or five hours learning how to code. So it happened a little slower than uh, maybe for others, but uh, eventually I realized that uh, nightclubs probably weren't my future. I love software and love building, love creating, and and ultimately decided to uh, see if I could get some work in that industry. And things moved pretty quickly from there. Yeah. I'd be curious to know how you went about teaching yourself to code, because I've heard that a couple of times, and I haven't really been able to dig into just your process and what tools you used, and if you used a coding bootcamp or if something online. So how did you um, get started in coding? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I at the time that I started, we didn't have a lot of the tools that are available today. Uh, without dating myself too much, there weren't a lot of the resources that are available online for free or otherwise. There weren't um, code schools that I knew of, certainly. And so I had to rely on mostly information that had been published in different ways. I read a lot of books. I also did look at a lot of information online, but it wasn't as well aggregated or you know sort of presented as it is today. Uh, so it was a lot of uh, kind of trial and error. I spent time coding in really basic tools. Some of you out there might uh, remember uh, writing code and things like Notepad. I certainly have had my share of that. And I also just looked for the help from other peers. I had a couple folks who were also learning around the same time. And so we would spend time together teaching, building, breaking, rebuilding. And that's basically how it happened. It took a while. It was, you know, it wasn't a 18 month program or anything like that. It took me probably the better part of five years to get to where I felt like I was able to be employed as a software engineer. Fascinating. And so when you got your first job or when you decided that you had the marketable skills that you needed to be able to get to the first job, who took you on and how did that process go? Because not having a degree or, or not having the specific bootcamp qualifications that uh, I think are common these days, I'd be curious to know who took you on and how that process went. Yeah, you know, it's definitely self-taught in that regard. So no credentials other than my ability to actually produce. My first gig was 
a very small role with a business that was doing web development kind of services for local area. It was in Las Vegas. Again, I was a bouncer just before that, and I was a bouncer in Las Vegas. So when I made the switch, I, I started working for a company there that, like I said, did web design and, and other kind of services in that area. They just needed somebody who could build, who could create these things, you know, and, and I was able to prove that. Pretty quickly, though, I realized that my skill set was applicable, you know, with maybe larger scale or with larger organizations, larger applications. And it was what I got excited about more than building smaller sites, which I'd been doing for a while. It was one of the ways that I learned. So I started to look a little further. I ended up working with a recruiter, I believe, and ultimately got recruited by a company called Shopzilla and a few others in the Los Angeles area and decided to move to Los Angeles to work for one of those companies. That was about the time when I really went full into you know, software as a career and as a passion of mine. So the move from Las Vegas to Los Angeles and working for a larger company uh, at the time, I think there was about 350 employees. That's really what launched me into things. So what was it about coding itself that got you excited? Was it the building aspect of it or was it something, maybe friends or, or mentors that you had that kind of led you into that role? Like what was exciting about coding at the time? And maybe the timing is important too. Maybe it was lots of things were happening within tech at that point and it was just kind of an exciting place to be. But was there anything specifically that really got you excited about being a coder? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the creation piece. What I love about software in general, but obviously building software is you can approach something, you can approach a problem or a need you can build against that. You can see the progress that you're making. You have these really tight feedback loops around whether or not that's getting accomplished. And that whole experience right there is what I love about software. You know, it can be found in a lot of different, a lot of different areas where you create. But for me, it just kind of strikes the part of my brain that loves the creation, but also the organization and, and the presentation of things. And so it was something that when I first tried it, I remember I took a class, an intro to web development my first year in college. And when I first tried that and saw that happen, when I wrote a couple lines of code, you know, hit refresh, save, and then refresh and saw it happen on the screen or appear on the screen, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So I think it's something in that creation and that feedback loop that I really love. Yeah. And what was the time frame with that? So when did you get involved with the programming aspect of it? Well, I started, let's see, um, do the quick math. I mean, I probably was teaching myself back in 2004, 2005. Okay. And I was you know, well into it probably at that point, just exploring and teaching and, and learning. But I think my first full-time job as an application developer, which I think was my first title, was in 2007, 2008. So it's definitely been over 10 years since I've been you know, building this way. Um, but it took about, yeah, about four or five years before I got to that, that point. And when you were working at these different companies, you mentioned that you were working remotely for the most part. Was that from the get-go? And at what point in what phase of your career did remote work become really big for you personally? Because I'd be curious to know about in a bigger organization how the components of remote work operate and how people work remotely in a bigger organization. Absolutely. So, you know, at the time, remote work certainly wasn't as popular as it is today. You know, we've seen this accelerate uh, quite quickly over the last decade, and the acceleration is increasing in the last few years. But at the time, it was still something that I had to fight for. Luckily, I had some pretty forward-thinking managers and teammates who saw the value of the outcomes that I could produce more than the hours in which that happened or the location in which that happened. 
But I remember pretty clearly the moment I realized that I was doing a ton of work for the company I'd worked for at the time outside of the office. Even though I was still going into the office, you know, nine to five, um, I was producing quite a bit more later in the evening, sometimes into the night. And that I worked best when I was able to align with when my creativity and my focus and my sort of flow or the zone, a lot of us like to call it, you know, when I hit that zone, it was the best place for me to be. And it was really hard for me to time box that between nine and five. And it was also really hard for me to put it into a certain location. I found that I would get inspired by a variety of locations. Sometimes I needed the buzz of people around me, uh, you know, like in a cafe or a coffee shop a co-working space to kind of get to that zone. Sometimes I needed it quiet. Sometimes I needed to be in a park in Santa Monica that has free public Wi-Fi and the ability for me to write code while sitting on a bench looking at the ocean. These were the things that I realized were best for my work style. And so I began to fight for that. I started to ask for the ability to work remotely. And I challenged my teammates and those who would give me that access uh, to see if I could be more productive, see if I lost any productivity, but also acknowledge if I was able to be more productive working this way and see if it was something that any of us could do if we needed to. Yeah. And during that time, what was the response typically? Because it sounds like you're one of those people that that is more productive working at home or choosing the place that you work. Did it end up being that your teammates went that direction as well? Or what was the relationship amongst your team about remote work? Yeah. If I recall, there were definitely a few teammates who at about the same time started to work more remotely as well. It wasn't like we showed up on a Monday and by Tuesday we were all working remotely full-time. But I think it was a little more like a day or two a week, uh, we would decide just sort of arbitrarily how we were feeling. If we felt like we would be able to be more productive at home, we'd just do that. And then over time, people find their kind of natural mix. We didn't have too many limitations put on that. So again, if we were getting our work done, and able to communicate correctly and feel like we weren't too disconnected from what everybody else was doing in the office, then we could you know, use our discretion. I found that others would use that discretion differently. Some, I think, pretty quickly ended up being kind of full-time remote, but others just when they needed it or just when it would be um, more conducive to, frankly, the way their life was unfolding, the things that they needed to get done on a, on a daily basis to be sort of a whole human. And often I found that that people would work remote when they needed to do other things that would otherwise conflict with being in the office. So it just gave folks, I think, a great opportunity to kind of craft their work around their life versus their life around their work. And certainly a lot of folks um, on our team decided to do some of that. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how somebody working in a bigger organization would go about asking for remote work as an option similar to what you did and, and what you saw to be effective. Like how would somebody approach their management or their boss to maybe ask for the option of working remotely? And what would be the best way of doing that, do you think? Sure. I think obviously there's probably no one size fits all approach, but I do think, first of all, there's got to be trust in your teammates that exist, you know, with your managers, with whoever else in the organization that will be, you know, sanctioning this or, or otherwise. There's got to be some trust. There's got to be an acknowledgement that you're a great member of the team and that how you contribute is what's important, not necessarily the ways in which you do that or the technical ways in which you do that. So I think if you feel like you have the trust already, then you should approach it from either I'm doing a lot of this, you know, work outside of the office already. You know, I find myself to be productive outside of these walls and I'd like to do more of that and see what kind of boost I can get from it, whether that's productivity boost, 
and outcomes and what I'm producing with the team or, or boost to my personal well-being. And, you know, that's also very important. So I would say, you know, if you feel like that's an accurate thing for you, then say, hey, I, this is already happening to some degree. Let's try being a little more intentional about it and see what happens. You know, we can set up um, whatever parameters we need to or whatever kind of check-ins and, and we can, you know, gauge this together. But let's try that. Another approach might be more of the let's just test this and see what happens. I think that this is something that could be a big benefit for either myself or the team. And I'd like to, to try doing some of this as a test. I've seen this has been pretty common that the teams who haven't started as remote first are, are looking at using remote work as an opportunity to help with their teams in a variety of ways. They'll try it, you know, for a day or, you know, a couple of days a week or maybe even just half a day kind of thing. And, and just dip their toes in the water a little bit, see what happens, see that everything doesn't break, see that, that actually things generally improve. And then I think it becomes very easy to buy in fully. It's just some people need to dip their toe in a little bit more. So that's how I'd approach it. Either say, look, this is happening and I'd like to try doing more of it and um, with your support or, you know, let's test this. Let's see if this is something that will work for us because we, we know it's working for a lot of other organizations. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the best way of doing it. And it's also the pushback, at least that I have heard people experience from their management team is that. I think it just comes down to the unknown a little bit and it's just not something that's familiar to them. And so all of the typical management style approaches that they have in their heads might lend themselves to having you be in the office at all times. So if you do have that gradual approach, it might be a little bit more palatable for your management team to let you do that. And I also think too, just for our listeners without going too much on a tangent, there are tools available out there for people to track their time, whether it's just on an individual basis or um, something that you can present to your manager, for example, to let them know that you're on the right track and you're spending your time appropriately. So um, one of the tools that I use personally is is rescue time. Um, and it's something I, I hear quite often from people that I talk to. So if you're looking for something like that, if you hear that that is a response, then there are tools available and I would suggest rescue time. And not that even my management team is forcing me to do that, but I just find it's a nice way of keeping track of uh, my own time and being aware of how I'm spending it. Anyway, something else just as a add-on to what you were saying there. Absolutely. I think there are a host of tools available to not only you know, measure your productivity and help you be more productive, but also really immerse yourself in the culture of working remote, which is, I think, very important and something you'll hear me talk a lot about. I think about, you know, how we've built infrastructure for working in an office over the last 100, 150 years. And I've studied a lot about how offices came to be and, and why is it that we work in offices today? Uh, certainly in knowledge work areas or professions. And without going into that too much, I think information exchange used to be quite expensive. So that was one of the reasons why you would co-locate with the other people in your organization so that you could exchange information quickly and collaborate in that sort of a way. And as technology has changed that, especially in the last decade or, or so, the cost of exchanging information doesn't exist. And we have to kind of rethink how we are going to be working over the next hundred years and whether or not, you know, co-locating is actually the most productive, the most beneficial for all of us, or if that's just legacy uh, for what used to be quite a strong argument for being the best you could be. In fact, maybe even a requirement in many cases, uh, but that's just not the world we live in anymore. And so I think we need to really be rethinking our infrastructure and, and how we're going to build new infrastructure for what is an entirely new type of workforce and 
certainly the ability to leverage technology and share information without any additional cost. I think that's really what's really driving a lot of robot work in general. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a good segue for my next topic and my next question. So you're obviously the CEO and founder of WorkFrom. So I'd love to get into how you came about founding WorkFrom and where the idea came from and then how it came to be that uh, you are where you are and just a little bit about the history of, of WorkFrom. So if you could just go into a little bit of detail about how the idea for WorkFrom came about. Sure. So WorkFrom is today the largest community-based platform for finding and sharing uh, great places to work remotely in every city. We've been described as kind of like a Yelp for remote workers. I think that gets the point across. Uh, obviously, there's a lot that I don't love about that, but we are a community through and through, and, and we have found a way to share information to the benefit of our larger community about the places we work and how to navigate that and, and provide kind of this new type of infrastructure that I just mentioned. We've evolved quite a bit, and I'll talk a little more about that here shortly, but we literally started as a note that I created in Evernote. (laughs) My experience as a remote worker often had me needing to find places that I could work remotely reliably. I did work at home quite a bit, and like most people even today who work remotely, I spent most of my days working from home, at least part of my days. But certainly when I was traveling or when I was just trying to find places outside of my home to be inspired or to just kind of fit into my normal flow. When I would find a place, you know, it was very hit or miss, but when I would find it, I'd add it to a list. And that list, you know, grew over the years. I had that list for many, many years before I actually built work from the first iteration of it. And that list, you know, grew not only with places that were very close to where I lived at the current time when I started the list, but also other cities that I'd visit or travel to. In about 2011, I moved back to Portland, Oregon. I'm an Oregonian, so originally from the area. And when I moved back, I found myself needing to rediscover the city in this way. I was now a remote worker, you know, software engineer, and needing to find places in the city that I had known before, but not in this way, find places that I could work outside of my home. And so I started exploring different neighborhoods and again, cataloging the best places. And it dawned on me that there are just so many of us working this way now. You know, I would go into a place and I'd find one that I loved, whether it was like a coffee shop or a co-working space or, you know, even a restaurant or several bars even that I like working from. When I would find a place, I would look around and I'd usually see others there. And I thought, these folks probably know two or three other places here. Why should I go through the work of trying to find those myself? And plus, a recommendation is going to be much more valuable. I've got this great list that I would like to share with them, not only places here that I found in Portland, but probably other cities. Why isn't this being done? And, you know, my curiosity led me to asking that question to a lot of people who I'd run into in these places and, you know, asking whether or not this is something that would be of interest to them, both that they use and contribute to, talking to the businesses and the, the staff of these businesses to understand what's happening, what are they seeing, is this working well for them? It's just really doing a lot of research. And ultimately, I, I realized that there was a pretty big opportunity to pretty f- quickly, almost immediately help a lot of people uh, with their normal day-to-day workplace needs, and that I was in a unique position to build that. And so that's what I did. Built the first version of work from, which was nothing more than a glorified sort of blog post with a comment section where people could leave recommendations on 
places to work in the Portland area, I started to notice that there were places that were being you know recommended that weren't in Portland. And even though I kind of tried to make it be that way, uh, or at least I'd ask people about Portland uh, initially. And as I saw that grow, and as I iterated on the experience of being able to recommend a place to others in the community, it was clear to me that there were a lot of people around the world who not only wanted this and were willing to help bring it to fruition, help contribute, but also just a big opportunity for me to jump into it full time and be the one to help grow that, help deliver that to the rest of the community, which you know got me very, very excited and is what still keeps me excited today. So over the years, we've evolved to not only help people find these on-demand workspaces around the world, but also access them in ways that uh, might otherwise be difficult or expensive or cumbersome. We've learned from our community and we've learned that there's a lot of value in finding places, but there's also a lot of value in accessing these places in new and, and innovative ways and engaging with them, uh, building a culture around them and being able to tap into that culture uh, from anywhere. So that's how we've evolved over the years. And if you want, we can talk a little bit about you know, sort of where we are today and what I'm excited about and a new set of features that we've just made available to our community. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get into that. But before we do, just a couple of questions about work from and just, you know, as it stands right now, do you have relationships with the places themselves that are sort of designated as work from official places? Or is this something that the community can designate any coffee shop or bar and they can just go into work from and, and then to designate that as a good place to work? How does that relationship work? Sure. So once you become a member of work from, there's a button that you can click that allows you to add any place that you want to recommend as a work-friendly place for the community. You can choose what type of place that is. And as you go through the process of adding it, you know we, we let you tell us what type of place that is and tell the community what type of place it is and what's important about that place. But you can absolutely add any place that you feel like is a recommendation that others should know about. And because of that, the majority of places that are searchable on work from today have been added by other patrons or others in the community with firsthand knowledge of working from those spaces. But that button is also available if you own or operate a workspace or a bar or a cafe or somewhere where you are comfortable with and enjoy and supporting professionals in this way. Uh, you can also add your space. And um, the process is very much the same. There are a few differences when we know that it's somebody that we can support a little differently in providing um, you as a workspace operator, you know, key data, insights into things and the ability to engage with our community in a little different way, more important ways. That's probably the main difference in that flow. But anybody who is a part of the community can recommend a workspace. There are over 15,000 of those workspaces now recommended on our platform. And that's across thousands of cities. Most places today, you can find recommendations from the community. And where there are a few or where there are not any, you can add the ones that you find and sort of be a scout, we call it. You can add those and help others who come behind you and are looking for the very same types of space. Yeah, fascinating. And can they be sort of voted up for the ones that are the most popular? Or is that just a list of people that have had experiences and they post those places and then, then that's kind of the extent of it. Is there a preferred sort of feature that, that sort of brings those places to the top? Sure. One of the things that evolved with our you know, search algorithm over the years, trying to surface some of these more popular places, 
after all, that's one of the most valuable things you can get from a community is is that social proof around you know, what's popular, what's relevant in these specific ways. So we wanted to try to surface that as much as possible. And we developed what we call a workability score, which uh, gives you as an end user an insight into not only how popular a place is, but just the overall workability of it, how likely it is to have the amenities that you and that others in the community have said are important. And we do take into account popularity. Now we get that popularity in a couple of different ways. By virtue of adding a place to work from, you know, there's sort of a level of inherent recommendation there, but you can do that one time for a place. So you can kind of register and upvote, if you will, for, for a venue and, and endorse it as another community member. Yes, this is a great place that I love or that I think is one that should be recommended more prominently. We also look at how often these venues show up on favorites lists and uh, how often they're shared, how much activity they are generating uh, organically and otherwise. You can leave what we call insights about a venue on the venue's profile. The more insights that we collect, the more we feel comfortable saying that this is also a popular place. So there's a number of ways that we determine what ultimately ends up into a workability score. Popularity is, is one of those. And the places that bubble up to the top as being more popular or more workable, they are definitely uh, weighted heavier when we do kind of broad recommendations and even very targeted recommendations in the community. So you mentioned a couple of features, and I'd love to get into a little bit more about sort of the future of work from and and where we go from there. So you have this new, uh, well, I'll let you kind of explain it, but it's called Homebase, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about uh, Homebase for work from and what the um, inspiration for that was. Awesome. So we've recently, and this has been a, a bit of a long time coming, but it's recently come to fruition in this way, but we released a set of features there in beta now that effectively turn work from into a pretty powerful marketplace for, right now, day use co-working specifically. We found that that was um, the most relevant and the most value that we could provide immediately with this new set of features. But how it works is you can imagine we've got a whole host of people in our community all over the world who are using work from to find and recommend the best places to get work done. So we see a lot of places and a lot of those places are places that others want to access. A lot of those are co-working spaces. And then we have the ability, because we are a community, to grow a network of places in kind of a unique way. You know, work from as a team doesn't have to go out to every venue and say, hey, you know, do you want to be a part of this network and kind of take a top-down approach, just adding um, venues to the network that are you know, known to be of a certain type. Rather, we can use those same recommendations and the same contributions from our community to help bring those spaces online uh, in a network based on their desire to actually work from those places right away. So that's kind of a long way of saying the new network that we've created here that we call Homebase has been built by and for the community. And uh, at its most simplest, you are able to purchase credits that equal one day of access to workspace on demand. When you find a place that is part of the network, and you want to work from that space, you simply redeem a credit and then you're able to enjoy that workspace for the day. When you run out of credits, uh, you simply buy more and you're back at it. What's really key about this is, uh, well, there's a couple of things. One is that it's reducing the a lot of the friction that currently exists when you're trying to find and, and use a co-working space specifically for a day. 
Uh, every co-working space, for the most part, has a different system set up, if they have a system at all. And it's quite a bit of work to try to figure out what that is and also make that happen. So we've removed that friction almost entirely. Uh, through home base, you can, with just a few clicks, be ready to visit a space. And like I said, on demand. So right now, you don't have to wait for tomorrow or the next day. And then for our venue partners, for the venues that are also a part of our community who are becoming a part of this network, they're getting a whole new group of folks into their spaces, becoming a part of their community, and really being able to serve more of their community in a way that's meaningful for not only their business, but also uh, for often their mission, you know, what their ethos, why they started uh, these spaces in the first place to be able to allow professionals to thrive uh, in a way that had, you know, that is becoming largely unavailable in some other way. So it's kind of the perfect marriage between, you know, frictionless access to the spaces. And then of course, opening up a new type of customer and a new type of community member for these venues as well. Yeah. I should point out that the venues, they get paid for this. When you use a credit at a venue, work from gets a portion of that and the venue gets the rest. And it's how we're, you know, able to make this sustainable. But it's new revenue for these venues. And again, the right person to be using their space in the right way. And we just make that super, super easy. And how has that been? You mentioned it's in beta. And how has that been going? Have you seen some success with it? And how many venues do you have at this point uh, that are available for the users? It's been going great. So we have a lot of early interest. We've got a lot of people who have signed up, a lot of individuals in our community or small teams who want to use it. Uh, who want to buy and use credits. We've had a lot of folks sign up for that in the thousands for early access to that. And then on the venue side, we've had hundreds who are interested in having this be something that's available at their space. Um, we've done very little to reach out to these venues or to get the tools in place for our community to help us spread this. It's not quite there yet. I shouldn't say we've done very little. We just haven't quite gotten those tools into everybody's hands yet. It's part of what we're doing during this beta. But there's a lot of interest, and the way that we've approached this, we've made it super simple for everybody to adopt on purpose because we think that what's keeping people on the sidelines and out of these spaces is the friction, and it's just not needed. You know, as we've worked with these businesses over the years and with our community, and we've collected so much feedback, and we've helped so many people find and enjoy these spaces, we've just learned that there's no need for there to be friction. Our community can really benefit from removing it. So. It's just an easy thing to adopt. And, and because of that, you can imagine there's going to be a lot of people who do it. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have partners who are in Portland, Oregon that are live on the platform and available to book. And we've got a lot of people in Portland who are doing that on a daily basis. This will likely appear in a few other cities first, just based on our small teams, work from small teams' ability to kind of get this into the hands of the right people and make sure that it's all still working the way that we think it should and the way it's adding the most value working with everybody to, to continue to collect feedback and work out any kinks. But once we've kind of got that dialed in, which I don't think will take too long, the goal is to then let it spread by letting our community lead where they want it to be spread. So letting anybody who wants to use this in a place that they feel like is valuable, use it and give them the tools to get that set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and so anybody out there who has a venue for co-working spaces, then let Darren know and, and reach out to him directly. And we'll have all of his information in the show notes so you can do that. I'll go in and sign up myself and we'll go from there. But uh, super exciting stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit about building the company just in general. I'm always fascinated to hear about 
people's experiences building, especially community platforms, because it always seems to be something different. What was the strategy or what did you see work and what didn't work in terms of building the community when you first started? And then how is that transition to where you are now? Did you have any sort of you know, marketing components or was it just word of mouth or how did the community grow from scratch to where it is today? So we've grown very organically. The majority of people who have you know, found and joined our community uh, have found us through searching for places to work wherever they are, trying to solve that need that they have at the moment of finding a, a reliable space. And because we're so relevant, because we've built, you know, a great way for them to get that value, they find us through or, you know, a Google search or some other uh, similar search. So we grew very organically that way. Once people find us, a lot of folks are quite excited about it. You know, it does solve a problem that a lot of folks have. And we've asked and, and they're very willing to share it. Uh, so we get a lot of word of mouth as well. We try to get anybody who joins work from to also share it with two other people who they think could use this and who could help contribute and benefit from all the, the contributions that have already been made. And that works pretty well. So we've had a lot of people who have joined that way. I mentioned, I think just a little bit ago, we've always been a, a very small team. And so uh, we haven't had the ability to do large marketing campaigns or anything of that nature that could probably help us get exposure with even more people. It's something that we plan to do as we mature more, but we've had to rely on being scrappy and kind of bootstrapping our way. So a lot of community engagement, a lot of trying to build some network effects inside of our community, a lot of trying to leverage our technology to help get us more exposure and to reach more in our community. So that's basically how we've grown is being very scrappy relying on people being able to find us because we're relevant, because we solve a real problem, and then engaging those folks who do find us to help us spread the word to others that should also know about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your team there. So how many people work for work from at the moment? Well, we're a small team right now. We're at three. All right. Yeah. So we're almost at our smalls that we've been uh, in our history. Like a lot of companies, it's been a roller coaster. So we've We've had chances to expand a bit, and then we've had times where we've needed to contract a bit. And we're, we're coming off of one of those periods where we've had to contract. You know, we've always done really, really well at understanding our community and being really in tune with how we can add value, you know, right away to the folks in our community and being very focused on that. It's a slower process. It's, you know, growing a community platform like this takes a lot of patience and a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of investment into growing it in ways that are sustainable and, and so because of that, we, we haven't always had the ability to find consistent help um, and keep that help on our team. But we're a team of three now, and um, we're looking to grow that uh, immediate future. We'll be looking to grow that a little bit. Nice. So one of my favorite questions, and I actually, full disclosure, I stole this question from a different podcast. So, What have you learned along the way of building work from that you wish that you knew earlier on, like when you started? Was there anything specifically that you can point to that you say, oh, it would be nice to have known this being in my journey of entrepreneurship and being a CEO? Yeah, I'm going to come back to patience here. That's a huge one. In this experience specifically, I think in a lot of experiences, but with work from specifically, we've had to have patience and and it shows up in all kinds of places, but it's something that I I definitely wish I had understood a little more clearly in the beginning, because I think it would have helped me set better expectations. Also, uh, you know, find any sustainable paths to leveraging that patience and building 
the business in many ways around the patients that we needed. But early on, we, we kind of went through a lot of, you know, spurts and, and, you know, we grow fast at times. And then, and then other times it seemed like it was, it was just more of a linear experience and, and trying to control that was, was somewhat of a challenge again, being a, a very small bootstrap team. And so it just took a lot of patience. It also took patience in that because this is a crowdsource experience from day one, we weren't always on our timeline. We were on the timeline of, of uh, the whole group. You know, we were basically a large community moving together and that timeline couldn't necessarily be dictated by just a few of us. And so there was a lot of patience that we had to have there. We cared so much about the curation. We were fanatical about getting firsthand experiences in our community. And that took a lot of time. Times, like I said, it would feel fast, but when you look back, you, you realize in order for that to grow into all the areas that you want it to grow or to reach all the people that you want it to reach, to be as helpful as you want to be, it just takes a lot of time. And so having that patience um, has been a real virtue and we've had to learn that uh, over the years. I think that's the biggest sort of, I wish I had known earlier. I would have done it all over again. I, I think maybe luckily I'm, I'm a pretty patient person. And so I've had the ability to settle in and, and have that patience. And even when we feel the anxiety of wanting to move faster or, or in, in some directions that we wish we could do, still having the ability to settle and keep our eye on the longer goal or the bigger goal. I'm well suited for that, but it's still, you know, a challenging thing to do. Mm-hmm. One of the things I hear often from entrepreneurs, especially in founders of companies, is that somewhere along the line, they had the benefit of having a mentor or a group of mentors or some community of founders that they could bounce ideas off of. Did you have that experience or was that not something that you found was important? Yes, I have had that experience. I feel like I still have that experience and it is tremendously valuable. I'd say in my journey with work from I've had more of that lately than I did in the early days. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I think you know, I'm a builder and I can get very immersed in the building and, and the creating. And so early on in work from days, I think I was very, very focused, kind of heads down, building a lot, didn't make a lot of time or space for other experiences outside of building. And, you know, that's something I've also had to learn how to make that sustainable. But I think in the early days, I probably didn't seek that camaraderie in the same ways. In the last few years, uh, certainly, we've been a part of, you know, not only informal, but formal groups that uh, provide a lot of that peer support and mentorship. I think it's huge. It's important also to note that I've had and worked from a, you know, advisory group of thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years. Of course, I think our community is the best. Uh, you know, I challenge anybody to, to tell me otherwise or prove otherwise, but uh, our community is has helped us grow this from the very early stages. And, you know, we've had those feedback loops. We've had the camaraderie. We've had the ability to bounce ideas and test and prototype and, and grow with the actual folks who are ultimately benefiting from this and who have the insights to help us make it better for everybody else. So I, I feel like I've had that in our community, but um, certainly I've also had it in folks that are more of my peers and mentors as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the great thing about community platforms, especially ones that people feel passionate about because they will let you know which direction that they think that you should go in. And sometimes it's filtering and sorting that information that's important. And other times it's just trying to get it in the first place. But yeah, I think that's a huge aspect of 
iterating on a community is is just taking and hearing from them. So I think that's really important. And they won't let you forget either. No, <laughs> let you know. <laughs> no, they won't. Uh, but again, that passion is a really important piece of it, and that's why I think a lot of these platforms are successful and survive is because people care about them. You know, at the end of the day, it's about the people. It's just very, very powerful. You know, it sort of transcends business in itself. I, I know that, you know, there's a business in work from that is absolutely moving forward because of this community. But, you know, I've met so many wonderful people. Uh, I've had a chance to meet some of those folks in person, thousands more virtually, and I've learned. And, you know, there's been such value that's been created outside of anything that's happened, you know, for the business itself. I think that's also why some of these businesses are the most powerful is because there's this underlying, you know, experience that transcends even the business itself. And that can prop up a business in a way that is harder to create if you don't have that community. Mm -hmm. And that probably goes back to that original comment and point you made about just sustainable growth, because that growth takes time and takes patience, like you said. And building that is not going to come easily. It's not a quick process. But once you have it, once you have a core group of people that are excited and, and passionate about the product and the community, then you're in a good spot. So um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I like to ask people on our podcast, because I think it's different every time I ask it, is what does your day look like? Do you have a set routine? Is that something that you've thought about it intentionally and deliberately? Or is, how, how does it work for you in, in terms of your daily and weekly routine? Yeah, I have routines that I try to stick to. Uh, I've been more successful some days than others. The latest iteration of this is that I create uh, spaces, if you will, or I block out, I kind of time box my calendar, my day in certain ways. So in the mornings, I really try to focus on making. So anything that kind of falls under that title or that uh, category, the creation and the making process. And for many years, that was coding or, or designing or something, but that's less and less the case these days for me. But I, I try to spend the mornings doing some of that. Then I block off time about midday to do any of the meetings that I need to do. So I have a lot of meetings, a lot of people who I'm excited to connect with who could be an important part of what we're doing or who we might be an important part of what they're doing. So I try to time box that as well for the afternoons. And then I try to um, have the late afternoon and, and before I shut down naturally, some time to do a little bit of planning, a little bit of reflection, a little bit of setting up the day to come. I'm pretty successful at that. I'd say I'm most successful probably at blocking out my meeting times, uh, making sure that those happen during a certain part of the day. But um, the other, the other, the planning and and some of the creation can leak into one another. I've been a little less successful with that. One thing that I have really tried to protect, and I think I've done a, a pretty good job of, is my very early mornings. I have a whole philosophy about winning the morning. I call it, and. Basically, I think that everybody, if this fits for you, I've certainly benefited from it. But I think that if you can get, you know, three hours at the very beginning of your day that you can immerse yourself in whatever you want or control in ways that you feel like whatever else happens throughout the day, you've already won the morning. You've already done some things that are important to you. Uh, for me, that's, you know, always a good breakfast, uh, exercise. I like to consume, you know, two or three articles or read something and kind of get my brain jump started that way. Uh, and then spend a little bit of time as well with my family. You know, if you can get that done and consistently every day, 
whatever starts happening, you know, nine o'clock for me, you know, I get up very, I'm up usually by about four or four thirty. So wow. whatever starts coming my way at about, you know, seven thirty or eight, I'm already ahead of the game. I feel like, you know, wow. Are you intentional about the time that you wake up or is it just natural for you now? Well, it's, I think I sort of shifted this way intentionally, but now it's very natural. Hmm. There was a time where I was a night owl, especially during my, uh, bouncing days, right? At the nightclubs. Hmm. But um, I found there's something special for me about the mornings and I really love just the energy of the mornings. And so in order for me to win that morning and have that, you know, three hours that's protected, I've got to get up pretty early. Hmm. You know, the day for most people around me starts a little bit later than mine, but that gives me the ability to uh, protect that time and, and really just have it unfold the way I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, for those of you out there that can do that and uh, works for them, I think that's it's a fantastic, uh, it's great advice. Yeah, I will note that it's not possible for everybody, certainly. And I have a 13-month-old son, my first child. So things have been a little different, a little harder or a little more challenging than they used to be in terms of just making it happen the way I want it to. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, if you can do it, you know, and, and maybe it's later in the day, maybe there's other things, but just protect some time for yourself so that, um, you know, you feel like the day's not happening to you, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's great advice. So listen, Darren, I, you've been so kind with your time and I want to be aware of how long we're, we're taking up of your day here. But I do have a couple more closing questions and they're a little bit weird, but uh, they're some of my favorites. So if you could force everyone to read one book, what would it be and why? So do you have a specific book in mind that you think everybody would benefit from reading? So this one's a little funny. So I'm going to recommend a book because I think I'm right now finding it to be, well, just great right now. But I've uh, been recommended like, from others. Here's the one book you must read, you know, in order to like, everybody's got to read this book. And I often read those books. I'm like, I don't know why, you know, I don't necessarily see it like you thought. So I'm hesitant to recommend one book that I feel like uh, I don't want people to look and say, well, what was he thinking? But right. there is a book that I've just recently started, but I've heard a lot about, and I've even done some research before I even started it and got a lot of firsthand insights from others, but it's called essentialism. And it's basically like having the discipline in the pursuit of like less, there's so much that goes on for so many of us all day long. And, you know, it's just kind of the pace at which life is these days. Being really intentional about trying to uh, strip some of that back down to its essential elements and, you know, understanding kind of the base level values and these things and how that can really help us actually do more and feel better and, and be more effective. That really resonates with me anyway. And this book kind of lays that out in a really, I think, thoughtful and, and useful way. So, I, you know, if that resonates to you, based on my quick description, I would certainly say essentialism is something you should read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I haven't heard of it, but I will uh, take a look. It's something I hear sometimes about things that people have done to maybe clarify and um, declutter their lives is, is really important. It can be super refreshing, and it oftentimes is things that you wouldn't expect. And often when you decide on making your, your life a little bit more simple, it, it can be kind of like lifting a burden off of you that you would, didn't know existed. So I will definitely check that out. I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question here for you before I let you go is, what is the best advice you've ever been given? It's a tough question, but uh, I like it a lot. Okay. So I've got some great advice that I was given, when I think when I was about 18 years old, maybe a little younger. And um, it has proven to be sage advice. It's not uh, controversial, I don't think, but it's, uh, I want to make sure that, that I say it the right way. <laughs> you can edit this out if you don't want it. <laughs> Try to, within 30 minutes of waking up, 
use the bathroom every day. The one time that we all need to use the bathroom every day, you do that within 30 minutes of waking up uh, and it will make your life so much easier on so many levels. Wow. It's been transformative. It took me a little while to buy in, but it really has changed my life. And, and I'll just leave it at that because I think everybody else can kind of extrapolate out what that might yeah. be for them. But Awesome. Well, yeah, well, let's uh, let, let our listeners figure out what that means to them. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, Darren, thanks so much again for coming on the show. I learned a lot and I'm super excited to see where work from goes and we'll link to everything in the show notes as well. I encourage our listeners to go check it out and go give some feedback to Darren and his team and just be a part of the community. It's super great and, and maybe add some venues if you're out there and you don't see anything in your area, then um, yeah, get it started because it's super cool. Did you want to send any our listeners somewhere specifically, Darren, or should we just send them to the work from dot, is it dot co or dot com? Uh, both work. Uh, we got the .co first, and so that's um, what ends up in a lot of our things that we have created, but uh, they both work. Okay. And yeah, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate being a part of this. It's a wonderful uh, opportunity, and I'm really excited to get to meet others in the community and hopefully welcome them to our community. I think when you're passionate about remote work and when you think it's a, an important part of your work style or your career even, um, you need a community. You know, it can be quite an isolating experience, and that's one of the biggest drawbacks that most folks point to. And so how we change that is by being more connected through community. I think that's exactly what you're doing here with this and what we're also doing. So I'm excited about those worlds colliding. Go to uh, workfrom.co uh, forward slash join to uh, create an account. It's free and become a part of what you know the movement that we've created here with Workfrom. If you're interested in our latest experience that we call home base, which is on-demand access to day use at local co-working spaces, go to forward slash home base. So workfrom.co forward slash home base and sign up for early access there. And then we'll reach out uh, with some more info when, when we're ready. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and thank you again. I think that's awesome. I think that you're right in saying that the community is a really important part about being successful in remote work. You just have to be a little bit more intentional and deliberate with being a part of it, which we wouldn't uh, be the case if you worked in an office. You kind of have to opt into it rather than just be a natural thing. So I do agree. It's super important. And we'll have you on again, hopefully, Darren. And I, I, again, I have some more questions for you, but we'll have that on a later date. And I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I look forward to that later date and uh, we'll chat again soon. All right. Talk soon. Thanks, Darren. Bye now. Thanks so much again for listening to the show. Be sure to check out WeWorkRemotely.com for the latest remote jobs. And if you're looking to hire a remote worker, WeWorkRemotely is the fastest and easiest way to do so. As always, if you have someone that we should talk to, advice you have, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at WeWorkRemotely.com. That's podcast at WeWorkRemotely.com. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, please go to WeWorkRemotely.com slash advertise for all of our available opportunities. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.